You're listening to Argy's Poetry Pickle Jar. Hello and welcome. We are back with another instalment of your favourite podcast, Argy's Poetry Pickle Jar, the only place where we pickle the poems we know you'll love. Each week we bring in a poet to talk about a poem they adore and each week we walk out of here adoring that poem too. And this week we're joined by someone very special. She's a Brahmi poet originally born in the Black Country. Her first book, Black Country, is one of those books where if I'm teaching colloquialism or slang, I always use it. It was Poetry Book Society recommendation. It received the Somerset Morgan Award, the Jeffrey Faber Memorial Award and Ford Prize for Best First Collection. Her pamphlet, The Republic of Motherhood, was on Chateau, uh, and it must, I think it must be one of the biggest selling pamphlets ever, as I think whenever someone is pregnant, I send them this pamphlet. <laughs> good. Because <laughs> it's Thank approachable <laughs> and it's good. And it looks so nice. So beautiful. It's so beautiful, as well as this she collaborated with artist Tom Hicks on The Dereliction, uh, which is a chapbook of poems and photographs about the black country. Finally, uh, her new book, The Home Child, is a novel in verse, which will be published in Chateau in March. Has that been published yet? Yeah. Going to be published this Thursday. Oh, wow. The 2nd of March. <laughs> Good. I was going to say, otherwise your bio on your website was wrong. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the studio and to the pickle jar, Liz Berry. How are you doing, Liz? I'm good, thank you. It's really nice to be chatting today. Yeah, exactly. Do you spend a lot of time on your own? Are you a writer that is introverted or are you a person that likes to be out? Well, I do spend a lot of time on my own writing and daydreaming. But actually, one of the things I love about being a poet is that it feels a really communal job. Yeah. You're forever in workshops, working with other poets, sharing, chatting, making things together. And for me, that's one of the most joyful bits of poetry. Yeah. And do you feel like um, the workshops uh, have changed over time, the way you deliver workshops? Are they connected more to your writing or are they... Um, become more like work? How has it changed over the years? Running workshops is one of my favourite things to do. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I just love working with poets of all stages. I really like working with people that are new to poems. And I think if you get it right, either online or in person, it can be this really special space where you see people share their ideas and thoughts. You get that little electric feeling when everyone's talking about a poem or writing together. And I feel that I endlessly learn things from my students as well. Even people that are really new to poems bring different perspectives or thoughts or fresh ways of seeing. So as a poet, I feel like it constantly keeps me sort of fresh and in love with poems. Yeah, I agree. And we were talking just before this went live about how reading poems like we can get so much out of reading poems and uh, you were saying that you've got a sort of a reading group that just concentrates just on the act of reading is that right yes yeah, so i've just done the training for a charity called the reader which runs shared reading groups and in shared reading people of all kinds come together and just read poems and stories for pleasure and chat and well-being 
but it's all about reading really slowly and really deeply and thinking about what these beautiful poems and stories have got to say about our lives and how they can help us to chat and connect together. Yeah, it gives a vehicle to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the time there's really an obsession with my own writing. Um, and when we're obsessed like that, the ego is so apparent in that, that it takes away from um, the meditation of reading, you know, of just connecting with a book and just enjoying it. Yeah, I think it puts you back in touch with what you love about the work, why you got into poems in the first place, because you loved reading them. The poet Jonathan Davidson speaks and teaches a lot about this. It talks about poetry or sort of literature as being an ecosystem. So if you're only thinking about your own work and what you're putting in, actually you stop taking things out, you stop that cycle moving. It's what you take from the literature as well. I love that. Sort of brings us on to the poem that you brought in, um, which I'm excited to hear. Yeah, so the poem I've brought in today is a poem called A Blessing by the American poet James Wright. Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bounds softly forth on the grass, and the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They have come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they have been grazing all day, alone. They ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. At home once more, they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. I would like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, for she's walked over to me and nuzzled my left hand. She is black and white. Her mane falls wild on her forehead and the light breeze moves me to caress her long ear. It is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrist. Suddenly, I realise that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. Wow, got real um, hairs on end uh, listening to that. Also, the speed that, to which you read it, especially after we just talked about the effect of listening and reading. It's a really, really beautiful poem. Um, and I hadn't heard of James Wright before, but tell us a bit about why you chose this poem. So I first came across this poem years ago in one of the Blood Axe Staying Alive anthologies. And I just immediately loved it in a really instinctive way. It, it feels this beautiful mix of ordinary and sublime and everyday and romantic and, and sacred and animal. Um, and it's a poem that leaves me with so many questions. Like I've been reading this poem for years and I've spoken about it with so many groups and other poets and it still endlessly feels like a mystery for me. And I love those poems that 
withhold something from me because when a poem doesn't give you an answer or a tidy conclusion then the poem never ends you keep going back to it all the time and that what a beautiful poetic idea that you constantly can let yourself back into this poem and it'll mean something different yeah the glory of the ambiguity i mm. love like those gaps in it i think uh like this poem it gives significance to something that consistently i'm thinking like why is this so con why is this given so significance and also who are they and why did they pull over to do this and it holds all those mysteries doesn't it and then you've got that curious lovely title a blessing and the more i read i think who's blessing who like who's being blessed and when they first meet the horses that and the eyes of those two indian ponies it's almost as if like the the poet and his friend had been searching for the horses but the horses had been waiting so it's like some sort of destiny or pilgrimage that they should meet in this twilight and of course perfect that it happens in twilight that sort of shape-shifting boundary blurring time they darken with kindness as well the mm. eyes and there's something about that that rings with like a certain um uncertainty in this blessing um which really stood out for me on that fourth from last line that is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrist which is probably one of the most vulnerable parts of the body i often think i love that line too Audrey. just when i was marking up the poem yesterday i underlined that bit because it it then starts to introduce this vulnerability because i think the ending is full of vulnerability this idea that the body might break Mm. And in this moment, like that skin over the wrist, you're right. It's so thin, so vulnerable and tender, isn't it? And it makes you look at your own wrist or think of the wrists of girls you've known. Yeah. Sort of how sort of almost translucent that little bit of skin is. And I suppose the image of the swans is the same. I mean, if we talked about images of vulnerability or whatever, I wouldn't have put to. I don't know what Indian ponies look like, but I wouldn't put a horse or a pony in that bracket. They feel sturdy, don't they, horses? Yeah. Especially like these little ponies that live outside all the time. And... That's it. And then they lower their heads like wet swans. Like in one way, I think, yeah, that's a really good image. In another way, I'm like, that's like those paintings. You're right. Um, you know, you see those paintings. They're magical. Um, mm. They're not necessarily, they don't feel necessarily all realistic. Yeah, because that's kind of a weird image, isn't it? The one about the wet swans. Yeah. The swans are sort of, but I suppose they're kind of muscular yeah. and graceful. Yeah. But you're right, it is a dreamy image rather than than imagining, yes, those horses are so like swans. <laughs> it lifts yeah. you into that sort of strange dream yeah. world. And it's followed by like they love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. It's that that's just a wild couplet, isn't it? Isn't it, it just? It's just wild. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. It's, it's, like, it's like an oxymoron. It's like a paradox in terms. Yeah, is it though? I wonder. Because I, I, I thought a lot about that middle bit. Because it feels like the poem then is about to turn into this sort of sensual moment. Yeah. And I, I sort of think to write, to write about love, but also acknowledge there is loneliness within love. That feels really deep, doesn't it? And maybe says something about humans, rather yeah. the humans rather than the two ponies. 
that sort of slippery boundary between the human and the creature. Because after that, then we go into, I would like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, but Which she has walked over to me. That strikes me like uh, the syntax or the ordering of those two lines. Like it could have been um, one has walked over to me. I'd like to, but it's the fact that they choose the slenderer one. And that word slenderer, that's such a lovely, unusual word. It's like really sensual, isn't it? It makes the scene sort of girlish or vulnerable. And again, that, that sort of human animal blurs a bit because presumably she, she's quite a sturdy little pony. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea of her being slenderer, like, such a seldom used word, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, then they go into the black and white and her mane falls wild on her forehead. Like, but that's actually quite late. The the -hmm. description of the actual Indian ponies comes on quite late. That feels part of a general move into the body. Because you're right, it doesn't come to light on, does it? And it's really plain. She is black and white. Mm. That's such a plain description. Mm. But then we get this really sensual image of her ear. It's really delicate, like the girl's wrist. And then the poet or the speaker turns to their own body. Suddenly I realise that if I stepped out of my body, what does it mean to step out of your body? I wonder. I don't know, but it's a big, it's a big turn. I mean, I would say it's three lines before because the light breeze moves them to caress along it. Do you think um, it feels like this sort of movement then? of sort of the human body into nature or into sort yeah. of the creaturely, creaturely order of things. Yeah, almost like seeing this moment and this blessing and connecting with these creatures have um, returned these two characters to a world where they're at one with nature. Mm. Yeah, what's interesting for me about this poem is I've been reading it for years and I've never in any way felt tempted to find out much more about the poet. Sometimes I read a poem, I'm like, what was this poet's life like? I must know, and I'd like to look them up. I've never felt drawn to that. It's almost as if it just can exist in my mind in this perfect little bubble, almost separate from the poet and their biography and what they might have seen or known in their life. It seems its own little unit for me. Thank you so much for talking about this poem. Pleasure. Uh, the time ran really fast, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you. A Blessing by James Wright Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bounds softly forth on the grass, and the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They have come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they have been grazing all day, alone. They ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. At home once more, they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. I would like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, for she has walked over to me and nuzzled my left hand 
She is black and white, her mane falls wild on her forehead, and the light breeze moves me to caress her long ear that is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrist. Suddenly I realize that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. <laughs>